RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Catherine Ennis Carter is an independent international development consultant specializing in governance, public administration, public sector reform, policy development, and more. She has been on our program, I think, three times before, talking about the disinformation industry in New Zealand. And most recently, I think we were chatting about the undercurrent podcast from Radio New Zealand, Whatever Happened to That. Today, Catherine is back at RCR for a chat on governance between elections, a little discussed topic, but a very important one, obviously, given the space we are in right now. Catherine, welcome back to RCR. Nice to see you or hear from you again. Nice to be with you again, Paul, and thanks for having me on again. Whatever happened to Undercurrent, eh? <laughs> sort of just kind of fizzled away was my impression. It did sort of fizzle away, and I think that was perhaps um, – uh, you know the the last flogging of 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 a dead horse. Given yeah. that the mainstream media made about four um, uh, docu- so called documentaries in the past year yeah. uh, about the Parliament protests, so I think it was a bit um, of uh, too much too much flogging at the last minute. Overegged, overegged. <laughs> is that the term? The pudding. Maybe. Okay. So we're in a kind of no man's land at the moment, aren't we? Well, we're in a very interesting situation. Let's um, talk about the election result for a minute. Um, and I'll try and go quickly with my own reflections. Yeah. Um, so just two or three points to make. One one was uh, we're clearly in a situation where um, New Zealand is a country that is becoming more polarised. And I think it's ridiculous to talk about right and left now because you can see that what's happening is factions versus the rest. And a lot of the factions are um, uh, with the, the Greens and um, what you might call the, the, the rump of the, the Labour Party that went woke. So a lot of those um, agendas which coalesce around those groupings Hmm. Um, I think a lot of people were very fed up with that. So when I talk about the rest, um, you've got all the way from uh, the people who are quite vocal about wanting change, and some of them uh, went with that, some went with New Zealand first. Um, uh, But, um, you know, (laughs) I think... um, what happened in um, in the election was that generally people forgot, particularly people within the what we might call the freedom movement, forgot about the sixty five percent, the sixty five percent who um, went along with everything that happened in the, uh, the the COVID response, who've basically gone along with the a lot of the woke agenda, who've gone along with. Um, the reinterpretation of the treaty agenda and uh, Māori politics and all of that. And I think um, one of the things that was obvious uh, was political naivety. Um, Where did that come from? Because it's not as if everybody came down in the last shower. And we've had the point about left and right. Yeah, it's a good point. But, again, people have been saying what you've just said, that the left and right, kind of, you know, pattern of that sort of disappeared quite a while ago. So where did that naivety sort of come from? Is it always there? Well, or? 
I think it comes. I think it came partly from um, uh, one of the things I want to talk about, which is um, unfortunately, uh, many most people are, are not very well informed about either government or governance. Uh, as a process. And so they're voting, you know, on the basis of what the media said yesterday or, you know, what, what their back pocket is telling them or, um, you know, the, the, the daily issues. And, of course, you know, what, what people um, underestimate is that everybody um, operates to a certain extent on the basis of self-interest. And yeah, so... Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we all do, you know, whatever That's that... That's kind of fair enough and understandable. Whatever form... Sure, yeah. whatever form that self-interest takes. But, for instance, when I talk about right and left, um, we don't have what could be called a, a, a far-right party in New Zealand. Some people would say that ACT is that. Um, well, anyone um, past the centre seems to be far-right from what I can pick up now. <laughs> huh? Well, there's been a lot of talk about far-right agendas and basically um, the ACT party is really only far-right um, when it comes to far-right monetarist policy. Um, so they sit right in there with the globalists and, um, and you know, the big international corporates and elites. Um, and their, their policy is founded on um, neoclassical economics. And Brooke Van Belden, the deputy, has, has spoken at that many times in, in their meetings. So um, in terms of what the media calls far-right, they have this idea of um, far-right, white supremacist, um, jingoist, nationalist, uh, you know, the people who, who uh, talk about sovereignty. And for years, of course, the, the media has looked down its noses very um, disparagingly at anything they can call populist. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, so you've got those factions on, on the what <laughs> the remains of what might be called the right. And on the left, of course, we've got this coalescing of the woke agenda. And you've also got uh, an age demographic now coming into that. So we've gone from, you know, the millennials to uh, a new generation um, of young people who've grown up with these um, factions um, which they are aligned with. But, you know, thinking that they're being rebellious, voting for the Greens and climate change and transgender identity and all this stuff, and not actually realising that, um, you know, they are also uh, being manipulated by large uh, globalist international but elites. Perhaps even more manipulated than, than previous Well, completely, and, and not realising, you know, that they're being manipulated by um, uh, the money interests. You know, the money interests in, in Big Pharma, which we saw during COVID, the, the money interests in the the, um, the transgender identity stuff, um, the money interests in climate climate change. You know, nobody asking, why is, why is uh, BlackRock in here? <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of political na naivety. And, and I think, unfortunately, that was also present um, amongst the, uh, the the freedom movement. Um, and uh, we were all hoping, well, many of us <laughs> were hoping that Winston Peters and New Zealand First might um, get to 8% or maybe even 10 But I think people underestimated two things. 
One is that um, the I think the whole threat of a second election did have an effect. Um, uh, really? No. It did? Uh, yes, I, I think so. I think it scared people who might have voted for New Zealand first um, into voting for national because there was all the stuff about unstable coalitions. Um, you know, and that should never surface in an election campaign. But could could we say that that was actually a, an irresponsible thing to say and do at that? Oh, time? absolutely, absolutely. And I don't think Chris Luxton said that by accident. Um, you know, what, the last few years has proved that the general public are very susceptible to being motivated by fear. So you put some fear out there about you know unstable government and what have you. Um, a certain amount of people are going to respond to that in the way that they responded to other um, fear generated uh, with all sorts of things. The, the young generation are, are voting on the basis of that kind of fear because they've all been told that the world's going to end and they're not going to have a future because the planet's going to blow up with climate change. Um, so fear, um, you know, continues to be used in, in soft forms as well as um, big forms like a global pandemic. Um, but also uh, the public are very suggestible to those sorts of things, um, suggestible to the point where during the whole COVID response you had um, a large majority of people who wanted to lock up the anti-vaxxers and the conspiracy theorists and, and all of that. So all of these things uh, have played a part. Um, and unfortunately it's sad to see our young generation thinking that, that they're being rebellious about things that they're actually very captured about, um, you know, through the indoctrination that's been going on uh, in the universities and in, even, and in schools. Um, and it's, it's quite sad to see. So we're in this situation now where a lot of these factions are becoming uh, more apparent and some of them are becoming a lot more aggressive and some of them are quite willing to sign up to totalitarianism because they're more interested in imposing their views on the rest of the population than they are in democracy. But they must be quite se secure, the people you're talking about, because it all depends on jobs and income and economic viability. And yes. Well, I've 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 talked about um, you know governance before as being a system of patronage where you know everybody's uh, in the public services enrolled in that um, to keep their jobs. Other people, you know, now that you've got more more um, services being public services being delivered by the private sector, those um, organisations that are contracting to government are also uh, enrolled in, in um, that kind of patronage uh, system. And what we're going to see now, which um, I want to talk about a bit later, is um, whether a, a, a new government can actually tame um, a very captured public service um, and and actually make the changes. We're all wondering we, that, Catherine. We're all, we're all wondering well, that right now. Yes, and I think, again, political naivety. Um, one of the things that struck me about the election campaign was that nobody, everybody was talking about the party vote um, and nobody was talking about the uh, electorate seats. And, in fact, the electorate seats are 72 seats, um, you know, so in many ways um, 
the election is is often decided on the basis of of the electorate seats, not um, not so much the party vote. And, and that should be the case, shouldn't it? Because fundamentally, the system is about re- physically representing people. Of course, it is. Of course, it is. But the party, um, the party is just the party. Yes, but I think that. Um, Many people underestimated um, the, what was happening with um, with local communities and the fact that National cleaned up um, on the electorate seats. Yeah, they did. You yeah. know, that, that is a result of a, a well-funded party. Um, you know, if I think about what's been happening in my own electorate, um, the National candidate was campaigning. We was out there. There were big billboards months before the election. So this is, you know, the hard yards, um, which well-funded parties can can do very well. But they didn't have to say much, Catherine. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, they just uh, had to say it's time for a change. And so, Morris Williamson he, was saying to us, you know, that the difference between when he was there and now is that if you're asked a question by a journalist, you just don't answer it. You know, yeah, well, you sort of you fudge it, and you you know the helicopter view, and at the end of the day, and the final analysis kind of put about five of those together, and you've forgotten the person's forgotten what question they've asked. The person waiting for the answers kind of had that all, um, you know, um, diffused out, and yes. it's never answered. You know, no, well, that's so, right. So they didn't really that, have to work for it in that sense. Well, you would think so, um, and I, I'm sure that a certain amount of the result was, you know, the hard yards being done by local candidates, um, you know, who uh, at least, you know, have been working at that for a lot longer than uh, many of the new parties that arrived late in the piece um, and also don't have, have funds to be able to campaign like that. But a lot of the campaigning that was done, um, you know, we're in this era of sound bites and slogans and propaganda. And, you know, all these things have an effect. So, you know, if, if, the, if you've got factions um, and the rest, the rest were largely fed up with all sorts of things. Um, but the general public is very suggestible. So you've only got to, you know, get out there and say, oh, it's time for change. Oh, let's get our country back on track. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and and people pick up on those you. things. Yeah. Yes, and then you and then you uh, add to that by saying, "Oh, you can't vote for this party or that party. You might have a, a you might create an unstable government and get a um, second election." Scary stuff. Um, yeah. When you think about what has happened over the last time that we've talked about so many times, there really wasn't much move away from the normal ebb and flow, really, no, was there? The, no, and the fact that you've got a large percentage of the general public who are um, uh, perhaps, you know, a bit frightened by um, extremes, and so they're happy to flop around, extremes. you know, doing, doing this well, ping, ping well, pong think they've match. just had. Crikey. <laughs> well, Exactly. You know, but this is what, you know, is, is masquerading as, um, you know, for the public benefit now, um, you know, that uh, the public is swallowing um, disinformation from um, government sources and, um, yep. you know, and, and but they're concerned about uh, disinformation from the people who the media are telling them are, are extremists. So, you know, we continue with this ping pong match 
Um, and what was ridiculous during the campaign was the extent to which the Labour, the um, uh, the media kept talking about the red team and the blue team. Yeah, like it was some game show or reality yeah. TV show. Yeah, what is that? You know, this is this is our this is our future. The red team and the blue team. Oh, come on! Fire so the lot of them. Fire the lot of them, I say. It's extremely uh, superficial. But I think um, the other But, but you're saying that the, the National Party obviously did a better job of campaigning on the ground because so. of the, 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 the how well they did on picking up actual electoral seats. Yes. Yes. And, of course, the, the, the Māori Party also did extremely well um, with electorate seats and because, you know, they – they know by now how to play the game. And, yes, yeah. you know, a lot of the young Māori activists that you're seeing uh, coming in, into uh, politics, but also operating uh, um, and very entrenched in the public service, um, they know how to play the political game. So that's game. where they've come from. Well, many of them the have. And they've, and they've come from, you know, universities who've been uh, trotting out um, these kind of uh, reinterpretation of the treaty. They, they seem quite bolshy and kind of aggressive. Very. And that's what I mean about aggressive factions. Um, I mean, it, it, it's been clear for quite a while. And I, I, when you and I were talking about the, um, the undercurrent uh, documentary and also the latest report at that time from the Disinformation Project, where they were talking about, um, uh, you know, violence and extremism and all this nonsense. Um, but uh, at the same time as the uh, Internal Affairs Department released its proposal for uh, more online censorship um, under the guise of safety, of course, um, you know, safe government looking after you, um, the um, there was also a, a report by um, Cantor, um, which was released just to coincide with the consultation period on the online censorship stuff. Um, and the results of that were very interesting because it showed what other um, researchers also showed, is that there's a hardcore of um, follow the narrative uh, devotees um, who uh, basically, you know, support everything, um, you know, the, all the agendas that are wrapped up now and in, in what we might call the official narrative. Um, but on the other extreme, there was about another 20% that thought that um, disinformation mostly came from official sources. Yeah, okay. So, you know, this is another area in which um, we are becoming uh, more more polarised. But I personally think that that hardcore twenty percent of uh, those following the narrative with such devotion and gusto um, are more dangerous than um, than the the ones who are trying to point out that there's something wrong with all this. Well, well, someone someone has to give something. Something has to give, sort of somewhere, doesn't it? Yes, um, I think, um, well, people were hoping, uh, particularly, you know, a lot of uh, RCR audience, um, and there was a lot of discussion about the party vote and, and hoping that um, the minor parties could make some traction into that, which was always a naive belief. Um, and that's been a lot 
talked about. Well, people got quite Nassim. angry, Catherine, when when it was suggested that it was like hopium and not going to happen. Yes. And yes. it was clear that it wasn't going to happen on the numbers. That was, you know, whether you wanted that to be that way or, or whatever, that's what it was going to be. Yes. And that, but that, I, that got I, people pretty agitated and quite mad at some people to, to even well, be talking yes, about that. It did, and it was, it was very sad to see the factions that were opening up within the wider freedom movement or um, I prefer to call it the aware movement. Yeah, it's probably a better, <laughs> better term, yeah. Um, and it, it was sad to see those factions. And I think, you know, again, goes back, back to the political naivety um, where, you know, um, I mean, a lot of us can, um, you know, write up a, a series of, of policy statements um, you know, I can do that after 40-odd years of being in and around government, um, but that doesn't make me a party, and it didn't make a lot of these little parties that emerged um, parties either. And the sad thing was that, um, you know, you have to ask what some of the people in um, this wider movement uh, for real change I'm not talking about the ACT Party's real change. I'm talking about real, real change. Um, uh, a lot of those people um, uh, were buoyed up, I think, by recent things such as the reaction to uh, River of Freedom, um, and they also thought that, um, you know, the message was getting out there uh, to more people. Um, and, you know, but to have a hope that, um, you can, you know, call call a political party into being two months out from an from an election and and achieve anything much. Um, it, it was sad to see the political naivety associated with that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that may. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much that took away from the vote for New Zealand First, um, but a couple it, of it, a couple of percent at least, I think. A couple of percent, um, and I've heard people saying that you know if it hadn't been for that, uh, New Zealand First might have got to eight or or nine percent. But um, yeah, hard hard to know that. But again, you know, uh, I'm not sure what people really wanted because you had uh, Winston Peters came came out very strongly and talked about um, uh, vaccine harm where where nobody else was talking about that. He talked about having a proper COVID inquiry where nobody else was talking about. And, you know, if you're, if you're on a ship which has been taken over by pirates, um, yeah. you know, which we are, and you're looking for a lifeboat and a viable-looking lifeboat with an experienced captain um, comes along and, you know, you look at that and you say, oh, well, no, I think uh, I, I'm not sure whether you can be trusted. And so I'll go and jump on this um, raft over here that's held together with a bit of string. And um, yeah, you someone know, who's and, never been to sea before. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and a flag that, you know, basically is um, St. Uh, Liz's knickers. Um, <laughs> you know, let, <laughs> you, you just, <Yellow. laughs> you know, the, I mean, the. <laughs> Um, the lack of discernment about that was uh, was very sad to see. But I think I think, I think when it comes to sorry about him, but I think um, when it comes to Win Winston, um, it's odd because you had the I guess the, the freedom people or whatever you want to call them 
were also poisoned by the media messaging of about the last decade. And I know because I was in it and I, I remember it. I've seen it close up where, you know, it was Winston's fault that, you know, that Jacinda came in in 2017. Yes. Even though Winston has explained it to me and our listeners, like we were in the room with him as he explained why he decided or his caucus decided, that's the other thing he pointed out, that it wasn't a deal with National. First of all, they didn't know how to do a deal. They, they didn't know how to do the business. And he was warned off by Bill English that it could be unstable because there could be a leadership spill within a week or two of making a deal. And also the other thing that comes up is the baubles of office. Now that is a, you know, a, a, over and over has been said for years. So these people... <laughs> The folk out there who think they're free and and need an alternative and everything need to realize that they too have been captured by media narratives and haven't yes. been able to, to to zoom back from it and see that when they make their decision. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, of course, um, you know, everybody, well, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, how people are influenced by the media, but they mean other people. Um, nobody thinks that the media is influencing <laughs> themselves. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and of course, I think you know, you're so smart, you know. <laughs> yes, well, e- exactly. But um, we're now in a situation, and oh, the other thing I wanted to mention about the New Zealand First is that I, um, I think that um, the freedom movement also uh, overestimated. Um, uh, some movement that we might think we're seeing um, amongst the general public, you know, supporting, uh, you know, the positive response to river freedom and um, people thinking that, you know, oh, more, more and more people are getting getting the message. But one thing that um, I think is going to become an issue now is that um, the, when Winston and Shane Jones uh, and other people um, who were New Zealand First candidates spoke strongly about the need for a COVID inquiry. Again, you've got to remember the 65%. Now, if the politicians get pushed into a position where they have to apologise and be accountable for exactly. what happened in um, uh, during the COVID response, then other people, um, you know, will have to face that that they are wrong too, and they they don't want, and they're dealing with that at the moment by just want, not wanting to know, and we've all seen that with um, you know people that we're coming across in our ordinary lives, so it's going to be very interesting from that perspective that New Zealand First has taken that up, and um, what will they be able to do now, and what will we see? Um, it's an a very interesting um, discussion now about um, whether New Zealand First will have more influence if they're part of a coalition or if they remain in opposition. Because they could um, ask endless questions in Parliament about this, couldn't they? Yes. Just on and on forever and ever, and it never goes away Yes, yes. And eventually, you know, that um, you would hope that – uh, you know, that will have some effect. Well, 63,000 extra call-outs for St. John last year compared to the year before. So I know. noticed something, right? <laughs> well, that's that's the hope that we have. But um, the other thing I, I want to do, 
to talk about is that, um, you know, we have we have now so much um, uh, to contend with. We have the effect of propaganda. We have a, a hostile media. We have, um, you know, a media who's just um, going along with what they've been told and not um, not questioning anything. Nobody's asked the right questions about anything, basically. Um, and so um, what we have now is um, a situation where to try to turn things around, where, where are we at? Um, a lot of people, I think, again, part of the political um, unawareness and naivety, um, think that, um, you know, by selecting a, a, a new, um, by voting in a new parliament, um, you know, that, that, that that's job done now. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we look to the politicians to change everything. But, of course, you know, what, what I, I think if you asked most people the question, what are the three branches of government, most people would not be able to answer that. Um, and they think about the, the public service and the officials in a, in a rather nebulous way. Um, but if we think of that, if we think about that uh, in a more deliberate way, um, what we will now have to contend with is the power of the executive. And um, it's very interesting to look at the contrast between um, the American system where they have much more deliberate uh, checks and balances between the three branches of government. Um, and the way that that is uh, put together in the American context uh, is interesting for us to think about here when we're part of the Westminster system. So, for instance, the um, the president is head of the executive and all the executive are appointed. Um, so when you have a change of president, you have a change in the in the top layers of um, of government departments as well. Um, and then, of course, you have um, the the Congress and uh, the Senate. Um, as the lawmaking body. And so they're often at odds when you have a different party in control of the Congress. Um, and this is why they have this nonsense every time about not voting the budget, because when you get a different party um, to the president, then they will resist um, passing the budget. So you get this nonsense about the government can't function because they haven't passed the budget. And, of course, they're always very interested in um, who's being put on the Supreme Court because they know yeah. the power of the judiciary to operate as uh, as also a uh, as that third branch of government. And that can extend years and decades um, beyond the term of whoever had them appointed. Yes, well, yes. Um, but what we have here, of course, being part of the uh, Westminster system is that the cabinet ministers are the head of the uh, the various ministries in the in the public service. Mm. So um, the theoretically, that makes it easier. Um, so nobody argues about um, voting voting the budget because um, unless you're talking about you know thin majority governments that have to depend on a confidence and supply agreement with um, one of the minor parties Pretty to rare. make sure they have enough votes to to actually vote the budget. But you know we don't have a controversy um, every year about voting the budget. Um, 
And so there are disadvantages and advantages to both systems. And the um, the disadvantage with the American system, of course, is that you the more people you have appointed, uh, the more you're open to the kind of, um, uh, I don't like to call it uh, corruption, but you, uh, patronage, the more that, um, you know, you, you have people who are appointed who are m- more open to patronage. Um, so corruption comes in there, where while the Westminster system also has its disadvantage because you've got this then close alignment between the parliament and the executive. So, and I think most people don't actually recognise um, what's been happening in the public service. Um, so, and um, people who are um, operating in the public service now um are very captured by um, much of the woke agenda, yep. Uh, yep. the Māori agenda, um, the climate change agenda, and you could see you can see this. Um, I mean, Māori um, have played this very well. They've got a lot of young Māori activists into universities. Um, they've got them into the public service, and you could see that with the Hey Puapua report. Um, that uh, the panel who who um, who uh, created that report uh, consisted of um, about five uh, senior policy managers from various government departments uh, and the Māori. A lot of these positions are now held by Māori, and many of them are quite activist for their cause. Yeah. Um, and uh, you've got other people like. Um, you know, I think there's a fairly strong alliance between uh, the green agenda and um, much of the um, the public service. You've got people in the public service now persuaded to post their own pronouns on their CVs and, um, you know, their iwi uh, connections. And, yeah, so all of this is, has been happening um, without the general public being very aware but I think the uh, the thing that people need to recognise is that the public service are not just the implementers for the politicians. They actually generate a lot of power. Um, I mean, a lot of policy yeah, yeah. comes from within the public service. And so, for example, with the, uh, the Waitangi Tribunal, uh, the reinterpretation of the treaty that we've been hearing over the last 30 years, this issue about... Um, so-called partnership between the Crown and Māori, um, a lot of that has been coming at the politicians as one single for- stream of advice um, over, certainly over the last six years, but but before. So um, the question now is how do we as citizens um, manage with our second responsibility? So you know, as citizens, we have a responsibility every three years to select a government. And, of course, we're primarily selecting um, the parliament, whereas in the American system, when they vote for a president, they're selecting um, the direction of the executive as well. So um, <clears throat> the uh, the power of the executive 
to generate policy and to influence politicians. And, you know, when I was when I was working in government, you know, we used to have a joke amongst the policy analysts about um, controlling the, the rush of blood to the head of various politicians when they wanted to put some policy initiative into effect. And, yeah. of course, many much of the reason why, uh, you know, politicians promise all things, all sorts of things during election campaigns and then, oh, what happens? Well, nothing happened about that. Um, often it's due to contrary advice coming from uh, the executive. So the executive has a lot of power to influence policy, to generate policy, which then gets taken up by uh, politicians and um, and to um, to advance particular agendas. And so yeah. mm. we have, um, as citizens, you know, um, the 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 focus that happens every three, you know every three years where we all get tied up in this whole election thing, and then you know people go away and think oh well it's up to the politicians now and you know we've we've done our job. No, that's not the role of a citizen. The role of a, the second part of our responsibility as citizens is to participate in the process of ongoing governance. And that is now the challenge that is in front of us. Um, if we really want to influence change, we've got to influence uh, not only the politicians, we've got to seek to influence um, the, the local MPs. Um, we've got to seek to influence senior people and, and people in the, um, in the executive. And, in fact, uh, um, that was... Uh, our citizen rights that have been particularly taken away from us in the last three years because you had an arrogant government that was just not listening. So people were writing submission, making submissions on um, things, uh, trying to get petitions through, Didn't trying matter, right? to write letters to ministers, the prime minister, um, you know, and it, it, it was all fobbed off. So this is the, the second role, the part of our, our responsibility as citizens that somehow we've got to try and claim back. One, uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm thinking good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, who knows? I got a feeling that, um, that a lot of waking up has to, has to be done on, by many people before. That's a force to be reckoned with. Well, almost everybody, you know, I mean, uh, Asia has had a, a fantastic um, a number of really interesting people that you've interviewed, um, you know, well-educated people who are fully aware of what's happening uh, globally. You know, they know the influence of uh, these uh, globalist um, elites. They know what we're caught up in, you know, with um, the disinformation industry and um, uh, officially funded propaganda. Um, and the thing that I think almost every one of them has come back to when you've asked the question, well, what can we do about it? Um, they're basically saying, well, we have to inform more people. Well, we have to we have to educate. Yeah, that's a work in progress, though. You know, it takes time. Very um, much. But if we don't get out of the cycle of political naivety oh, no, total, and think, totally, thinking yeah. that we can have this, you know, Ping pong match between blue and pink every, um, or blue and red every every or three pink years. Pink and pink, 
<laughs> or purple and purple. <laughs> they all kind of blend into one. Well, me. you know, I mean, if ever there was a demonstration of the uni party, it was some of the debates that went on, you know, where the media asking the most stupid questions, um, you know, what do you asking Chris Luxon, what do you like about Christopher Hipkins and, you know, all this kind of nonsense that went on. The superficiality of of all of that was an insult to uh, the New Zealand public, and um, you know. But if ever you you saw the Uniparty on display, that it was, was in those debates. Yeah. You know, there was hardly any line of separation between uh, uh, Christopher Luxon and Chris Hopkins. One thing I'm curious about, and I'm sure our audience are curious about, in this time, um, and it could be you know, some weeks yet before there's any sort of final configuration that we can see in this uh, government. And that is we have those international health regulations that we opt into if we don't um, opt out on December the 1st. Who can do that? Who has the power to say, go shove it? Well, we're in the interesting situation now where, um, we may not actually have a government until the end of, of November. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so who's going to make the decision about that? Because we'll be in otherwise. Well, yes. And is is the, the caretaker government who uh, theoretically and constitutionally um, has no power in this period except to continue the ongoing basics of um, administration yeah. of government, uh, how can they make a decision on this? Um, the new government can't make a decision because they're they're going to be still involved in in counting special votes and <laughs> seeing what the outcome of that is, and then trying to uh, have uh, coalition negotiations yeah, perhaps trade. on top of yeah. that. Yeah. So yes, I mean that's um, a very institute, uh, very 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 interesting constitutional and legal. Um, point. Oh dear, <laughs> I've got I don't. A sink- I got a sinking feeling on that one. I got to say. Well, yes, but um, the ability of uh, either the uh, the caretaker government or the government elect, um, the legality of either of those um, uh, constitutional arrangements, <laughs> let's yeah. call it. Um, the legality of them making such a significant decision in this period is is a really interesting point. Who, who's going to resolve that? Wow. What an interesting chat. It's always uh, interesting talking with you, Catherine. Okay. It's always <laughs> an you. interesting chat. Catherine Ennis-Carter back on RCR. Let's see how things go. But thanks for coming back on, Catherine. Thanks. It's always good to talk to you, Paul. And I hope that um, people in the freedom movement can overcome uh, some of the the factions and the the um, uh, the dissonance that emerged, um, and can work together. Because if we've never had a bigger challenge, no, I think um, you're right there. Yeah, then we are going to face in the next three years, and it's not just. Um, for the political parties uh, and uh, those people who can um, advocate with the political parties. It's all of us as citizens 
taking up our governance responsibility to be involved. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.